I may or may not, Kevin, use. Just put year of the promise up there for me. Fit in the talk. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're here on purpose. Holy Spirit, come. Help me. May our ears be open, our hearts be soft to what you want to do. Somehow, some way, right now in this moment, supernaturally pastor these people through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Our theme for the whole year is the year of the promise. I may or may not fill out your little note sheets that you got in your bulletin on the way in, but I don't feel bound to it. Because I feel like maybe the Lord wants to say something different to this group than he said to the last I grew up a pastor's kid. There was a kid's pastor that I would help out and volunteer. His name is Dwayne. I jokingly would say, you're crazy or you're stupid or that's nuts or whatever the case may be. His response to all of it all the time was stupid for Jesus, crazy for Jesus, nuts for Jesus. Whatever the case may be. So in this moment, you need to understand that I don't care if I look like a fool because I'm willing to look like a fool for Jesus. Because the safe thing is to preach this message that I've already written and preached once. I practiced already one time this morning on somebody else. It went good. But I feel like the Lord might want to say something unique that's not on the paper At the age of 16, I sat in the back row of my dad's church and the evangelist was preaching. I was sitting next to my friend, Don. We were passing notes, not paying attention. And the evangelist mid-message said something to the effect that some of you may be called to ministry. And in that very moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as loud as possible, spiritually, that's you. My response to that call was to look up for a moment from my note passing to say, okay, and then go back to passing notes. It wasn't until a couple of years later that I found myself being serious about God 
You know, I'd been around it. I'd grown up, grown up in it. You know, I, I really felt like I had a relationship with Jesus, but I, I didn't have any fruit. You see, because the Bible says that people will know you by your fruit. And, and that means that people will be able to see Jesus in your life. So I had the call to be a pastor. That's what I heard. A senior pastor, lead pastor. There's different names and titles, but, but it's in essence the same thing to pastor a congregation at the age of 16 that I heard and I felt in my spirit and I said yes to. I went kind of on that trajectory, kind of not. Uh, Got done with my high school career with a one point something GPA. I worked very hard at not working on my school assignments. Couldn't get into any college. So one day, uh, ran into a recruiter for the Marine Corps during lunch. And now I was already a grade behind because I failed eighth grade. Listen, all my dirty laundry's coming out right now. <laughs> but I failed eighth grade because my mama said, listen, this is on you. Either you do your homework or you don't. And I learned a lesson that if my mom didn't do my homework for me, I had to end up doing it. So I was 18 years old and the recruiter gave me the spiel as we had these different branches of the military there at lunchtime in the school. Hey man, you wanna be the best? I'm like, yeah, what do I do? Just sign right here for me. How old are you? I'm 18. Yeah, right here. That's all you got to do. All right, I'm down. Sign it. He comes over to my house, sits with my parents, Mr. and Mrs. Bird. I'm here to kind of let you know what to expect. And the end of the conversation, after my mother had asked if the drill instructors were allowed to cuss at me, to which the recruiter said, oh, no, ma'am, we don't do those kinds of things. It was not my experience. My precious little mother says, okay, thank you for coming by. We'll, we'll think about it. <laughs> to which the recruiter responded, uh, I don't think you understand. Your son, who's already 18, has already signed the paperwork. They both look at me in complete shock. But the trajectory of my life took me to that experience and then come out of that. The girl I had always chased in youth group finally succumbed. <laughs> and Kelly finally gave in. Like a mighty wall of Jericho, she buckled under the pressure. <laughs> we went on to date and of course be engaged, married, the rest is history in that respect. 
had our first child and took that little one-year-old child and moved across the country to Bible college. To which after Bible college, we took our first position in Rock Hill, South Carolina. All the while, I had a call on my life at 16 years old, yet I took a position as a children's pastor, which was not a lead pastor, senior pastor, which was not that role, but that's the position I took because that's what I grew up in volunteering for. And so the Lord brought me to that place and served in South Carolina for a couple of years. Loved it. But the thing about it is, is the call, which was when I said yes, the promise that God would use me in that capacity still had not come to pass. I don't know if anybody in here has ever experienced church hurt or church trauma. We've actually begun to pray and think about should we even have a course or a class about that very subject because it's become so commonplace today. Because the bottom line is that people are pastors and people make mistakes. So Kelly and I and our little young family, which was now three children, experienced a lot of pain that caused us to walk away from the ministry. The promise, the call that happened at age 16 now found myself driving a Pepsi truck and Kelly working at the bank for two years plus ministry was not something that we really were a part of certainly we'd volunteer from time to time to work the nursery or whatever the case may be at the church we were attending but I had felt like maybe at age 16, if I heard the call and then the promise that I said yes to it and, and was walking through it and, and that was the trajectory of my life. Had I made a mistake, had I made a misstep, of course I had made so many mistakes. Tell your neighbor, you know you've made mistakes. Come on. Of course. But my Bible says, this says, that the steps that I take are directed by God. That I can plan in my heart what I wanna do, but at the end of the day, God himself will direct my steps. And even though I found myself rolling Pepsi, and even though I found myself discouraged, felting like I had missed it, felting like my family was supposed to be in this place, in ministry, I was supposed to be leading a church. And even though I felt like my mistakes had brought me to that, my steps were still directed by the God of the universe. Genesis 12 says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land, I'll show you. The call was set forth. The promise to follow, I will make you a great nation. 
The promise that God gave me was not, I will make you a great nation. The promise was, I'm calling you to do something for me, Andrew. Okay. Hey, write this down on this note and pass this over there. You see, sometimes, maybe not even sometimes, every time, every time God knows we need to hear something from Him, He speaks. He knows where you are. I was in a convenience store, leaning on a dolly, a hand truck, full of Pepsi, waiting to get my money for the Pepsi. Not my money, Pepsi's money. And a guy walks in with a little girl. Couldn't have been six, seven years old. And begins to talk to the clerk as she has her face painted. And the clerk was saying, oh, you got your face painted, look at you. And the kid starts talking excitedly about her experience at the local church, Vacation Bible School. And the guy is buying alcohol and proceeds to say, yeah, we take her to all of them over the summer. It's free childcare. I don't believe any of that stuff. And in that moment, my God reminded me that he wasn't done with me yet. I went home and told Kelly about it. And over the next few weeks, there was a whirlwind, an opportunity, a door was opened. Like Jonah, the call of God wasn't revoked on his life and it wasn't revoked on mine. A door opened that no man could open. We took up the position of being children's pastors at one of the largest churches in North Carolina. I did not have the experience or the resume, but God did it. But at age 16, God called me to be a lead pastor, a senior pastor. And then... Seven years of learning what being a lead pastor should look like under my mentor brought me to a place where Kelly and I left that comfortable place and planted a church in 2012. Guys, you need to understand that that very first Sunday night as we launched in January 2012, I preached a message and, and stood in the position of lead pastor on that day. And everything was different because on the very next day, I walked into my mentor's office and I said, I can't do it. This is, this is too heavy. And with all the compassion that my mentor had, he says, too late. You're doing it. But that's what I needed to hear. 
I don't have time to get into all the details that bring us here today, but I do have time to say this, that God is never surprised, that his hand is steady, that he will direct your steps when you submit your life to him. And even, oh my goodness, even when you do stupid things and feel like you've missed the right path, God is bigger than that. You see, the call of Abraham was leave your father's family, leave your relatives, leave the land where you are. The call of Abraham was a call to come out of something. Come out of your comfort zone. Come out of the place where you have always been to experience the promise, to to, to walk in blessing, to see my hand at work. You see, so many times we find ourselves leaning on the goodness of God in other people's lives that we forget that we can experience the goodness of God on our own. So many times we find ourselves sitting in the pews and the chairs of the churches hearing what the pastor can say about the word of God instead of opening on it on our own and saying, God, speak to me. We like Instagram posts and videos that show miracles working all over the world and forget that the God that works the miracle in South America and in Africa is the God that can work the miracle in us. One of America's biggest challenges is comfort. Comfort. Churches all over the world know exactly what it's like to only have God in their midst. This past week, I got a message from our pastor in India. They held revival services. And to see those precious people sitting on these plastic chairs in standing room only, experiencing the miracles and the goodness of God, You see, sometimes the only way that we can experience his goodness is if everything else is stripped away. But but that's a challenge for us because that's a scary place. In chapter 13 of Genesis, Abraham has been promised this great promise. And now he finds himself with one family member still nearby, Lot. They look across the expanse of the land and realize they can't both fit in the same place. So one of them needs to move to another place. Well, the promise is upon Abraham's life Lot chooses the best. Abraham takes the leftovers. You see, because 
Abraham. Oh, this is good. It's only good because I just realized what it was. Abraham knew it wasn't his responsibility to bring about the promise. It was God's. It was God's promise, and God would bring the promise. You see, because Abraham didn't need to choose the best of the land, because God had already told him, I will give you the blessing of the land. Here at Greater Life, we've seen unique things happen. Our commitment is to allow the Holy Spirit to be the lead pastor. And all of us, in essence, work for him. The cult of personalities found in the modern church today is the very thing destroying the modern church today. If it's not compromising on what the Scripture says, then it's putting too much emphasis on who's preaching that Sunday. I'll tell you this, I am not that cool. Certainly, I have a new sweater on today. (laughs) And I worked out yesterday for 30 minutes. But at the end of the day, one of the things that God keeps reminding me of is that he is sovereign. Sometimes people ask, how, how can greater life have this happen or that happen or do this or do that? And the thing that amazes me the most is that God is blessing because he is God. Not, certainly not because of who we are. Because as soon as you think you deserve something, pride has taken hold. Pride has taken hold. Pride has taken hold. And my Bible says that God (coughs) elevates the humble and brings down the proud. I, I, I count myself blessed to be able to stand before you today. But humbled in a sense that I know it's too much for me to bear. I've been out of my depth for years. And this preacher still is trying to wrap his head around. Why me? And every time I ask the question, God reminds me, it ain't about you. And can I tell you, it gives me great relief. Thank God, thank you, Lord. And then I look back at the Old Testament and I see the children of Israel winning battles that they shouldn't win. And I see the scriptures saying, I'm going to do this in such a way that all the other nations and all the other kingdoms look at this victory and they think, wow, only God could have helped them win that victory. 
And when people look at Greater Life, I want people to say, wow, have you ever met that pastor over there? Only God can do something amazing at Greater Life Church. Amen? And friends, if we can be comfortable with being uncomfortable and allowing God to use us beyond our depth, beyond our resources, beyond our capacity, can I just tell you that the Bible is full of promises of God? 3,000 plus are in there. And the promise is this that he will accomplish his purposes upon this earth. And we have two paths. We can be a part of it, or we can miss it. We can miss it. I don't know how many funerals I've preached from this pulpit. I don't know how many. But I will tell you that there's something so hard about preaching a funeral where the family says, I'm not sure, Pastor if they knew Jesus or not. It's my assignment then to say that God is merciful and he is the only judge to encourage where I can, but I will not preach anybody into heaven. It's up to you, it's up to me to decide whether we wanna go be with Jesus and our heavenly father or not in eternity. On the one hand, he makes it easy for us to choose. He makes it easy for us to decide which way we would walk. Sometimes it's obvious that I can't live this way anymore. I've got to make a change. Can I tell you that it is in that moment that you need to thank God for his grace and his mercy because somebody's been praying for you some mama, some daddy, some grandma, some grandpa, some prayer team, somebody was praying for you. In the darkest corners of the world today, people are finding Jesus because he's showing up in their dreams. No one was there to tell them the gospel. Anybody that has this near-death experience finds themselves in a place where they know something's after this. The crisis in their life makes them ask the question, I do not want to end up in the bad place. I don't want to end up in hell. I don't want to end up in pain. Did you know that while hell the Bible teaches us is hot and a place of torment and judgment, the lake of fire, it is also dark. You would think that fire brings light, but in hell, it's complete and utter darkness because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And the Bible tells us that those that find themselves in hell are gnashing their teeth, which means they are so distraught and frustrated that they're gritting their teeth knowing they've missed their chance. Can I tell you that this preacher is glad that God didn't give up on him? 
even though I've given him plenty of reasons to. I'm thankful that my wife never gave up on me. That my children, even though I've let them down, choose to love me. Today, I want you to know that sin certainly is a great hurdle to overcome. But the cross is greater. So much greater. That there is no addiction. There is no relationship, there is no thing you're hanging on to that's causing anger and bitterness that is worth it. The Bible tells us that our life upon this earth is just a breath, just a mist here today, gone tomorrow. The wisest king who ever lived says it's all meaningless anyway. And I will tell you that anything you do that isn't attached to the kingdom of God is exactly that, meaningless. But when we do something in partnership with the God of heaven and earth, when we do something in obeying the call that God's put upon our life, that's when it begins to take hold. It begins to have eternal meaning. Today's message was the test of the promise. I want to share with you briefly something. We've talked about Abraham. God gave him the promise that he would make him a great nation, which would require a son, an heir. God did that in his hundredth year of life. And then not long after that, God asked, it, God asked him to give his promise, Isaac, his heir, back. Genesis chapter 22. God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. So Abraham went to do it. You see, but he had faith. Because in Hebrews 11, verse 17, we read, by faith Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God had test, was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, even though God had told him, Isaac is your son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Friends, the biggest problem that we may have is that God's promised us something or we feel like we should be a certain way or we should, by this time of life, we should have a certain list of things accomplished. God, you said you would do this, you would do that. We find ourselves leaning into these promises. 
But maybe we should be reminded today that it's God's promise and it's our sacrifice. If we're not willing to give up everything, including what we feel like God has just given us, then are we ready to handle the blessings and the promises of God anyway? My personal challenge is simple today. As I stand before you and a question is asked in my spirit, are you willing to give up the promise? Do you have the faith? I don't know. I don't know. If God told me, walk out that door and give it up, that's a tall order. What, what is the thing that God may require of you? And are you willing to give it? Because I'll tell you this much, whatever God's requiring of you is less than what it was required of Jesus. It was his life. And he went to the cross for you, for me. I believe one thing today needs to be accomplished. More than anything. If anything that I've said up here today resonates with you in, East, in just the smallest measure, then I pray that not only would you take it and over lunch say, well, that was confusing or that was good or whatever, but do something with it. I don't know exactly what God's going to do in this year, but I do know that faith is going to be required. That, that actually excites me because if faith is required, then it's bigger than we can do on our own. If faith is required of you, then it's bigger than you can accomplish on your own. You may have been praying for that loved one, that child, that person that has walked away from the Lord. But my question to you is, are you really, really ready to say, God, I give them completely to you. Do as you wish. Are you really ready to say, God, my agenda, my plan, my timeline is yours. I give it up. I give you complete control. I want you to be in charge. And I know, I know if we as a people, we as a church, me as a pastor, can truly allow God to be in charge of every aspect, then we'll see greater things than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Here we are on this Sunday morning in a comfortable place. But I'm gonna pray 
a prayer. I'd ask you to join with me. Would you bow your heads? Lord, today, for your glory, make us uncomfortable. Bring us to a place where we have to lean on you, where we need you desperately, like we need breath in our bodies. God, do something so unique and amazing that there's no other explanation than that it is supernatural. May miracles abound. May our faith match the calling. May you wash us from the inside out. May sin be in the rearview mirror of all of our lives as we press towards you, O God, and holiness. Help us, Lord, not just to be a church that plays games and goes through motions. Please, please, use us for your glory. Please. We love you, Lord. May everyone in this room now experience your goodness. May your Holy Spirit flow through this place, refreshing, calling, challenging us for what's ahead. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done and for all you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Friends, I'd like to encourage you. Be a part of what God is doing. Participate in his goodness. Tonight we have classes starting, discipleship classes with everything ranging from marriage to addiction, all types of things. We want you to be involved in that. Discipleship is an important part. These Brochures are out front, or you can see Victor and Linda who will be down front afterwards. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna be right there after this service concludes and I'd like to pray with you. It's God's desire that all would be saved. That's our desire as well. And Lord, I pray you'd bless us and take us, use us, Help us to do great and mighty things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.